0: welcome to the milk bar 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 Uh, welcome to the milk bar Uh, welcome
1: along to episode 577 of the milk bar jason forrest here with you as ever and coming up on this week's show we'll be talking storytelling with xanthi gresham knight all about her world of making sure that the oral tradition is kept alive. We'll be hearing from the team at CDS, Codswell Dramatic Society, after they had one of their productions postponed due to lockdown. They've got something very special coming up online for you in the not too distant future. We'll be joined by Adam Sweet as we talk 90s music. Uh, he's from Passion Star, hearing from him all about uh, their world in the band back then. And also in the 90s, Daytona were doing fantastic things, Martin Warlow letting us know what's going on there. We'll be joined by Mel Riley, she's a psychotherapist. We'll be finding out how she's helping people during lockdown and that is all happening online. Plus, we'll be talking to Paul Ryder of LGBT plus Sparkle about their brand new website logo and ongoing events. That's all coming up on the show this week. With the third season of Agatha Raisin now available on DVD, having premiered on Sky One and Acorn TV. It is an absolute treat. Somebody who is part of the whole mesh that makes this thing work is Marcia Warren, who joins me now on the line. Hello.
2: Hello. It's been called Midsummer Murder on Steroids with, <laughs> with better frocks.
1: I like that. So, I mean, what's it like being part of the Agatha Raisin family? Because you are Mrs. Boggle.
2: And that says it all, really, doesn't it? (laughs) Boggle. Rude, outspoken, crass, filthy and dirty with
1: clothes from Oxfam, damn it. It's a good job Um, you're a good actress, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But um, I think because she was so disliked by the village, she pulled herself together. And one of the characters in a later episode said she has a personality transplant and she's actually smiling so things that like she wants to be in the gang she she wants to help serve, um, solve the murders you see Bless so, her
0: heart. but she,
1: she is a busybody though isn't she terrible
2: terrible yes <laughs> <laughs> and they've given her a taser now she's uh, in the neighbourhood watch <laughs> and she's, she's got this whole uniform and a taser <gasps>
1: it's
2: not a good idea
1: it must be a joy being on set not only because she spends so much of your time in the wonderful Cotswold village surroundings oh.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's the star of the series, apart from the superlatively good Ashley Jensen. The cotswold scenery is absolutely fabulous. And I think that's partly why it's so popular in America. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they're just looking at these wonders coming out of the cottages. as if They've grown up from the earth, don't they, because of the color of the stone.
1: Gorgeous. I mean, but it is one of those series that it is internationally popular, but it's got that slice of British life alongside, yeah, the, the yeah, the, the constant murders as you've really alluded to. Midsummer murders has that sort of thing happen all the time. the The way it works here in the Agatha Raisin series has, is just one step beyond, isn't it? And it is such uh, an amusing show with it. And this comes from the fantastic range of comedy actors uh, that we have in there.
2: They're really good, aren't they? I saw episode one. It was shown on the television, not, not on Sky, um, the other day. I thought, oh. God, what what a talented lot they've
1: got they really have. i uh, as somebody who's won uh, more than your fair share of awards. Uh you know you 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 are up there alongside the rest of the casters uh, with with the and the talent stakes. I think that is you know really what this is about isn't it? It's about making fine quality television that is just absolute huge fun to to make you feel part of it.
2: It it, it does help when you have terrific people doesn't it around you, you know really
1: really good and with the season three obviously uh, for agatha uh she's trying to get new business for her detective agency yeah. and uh, this all oil... her
2: own detective agency
1: yeah, yeah it surrounds a haunted house so uh, what what goes on there that you can tell us without spoilers uh, yeah
2: um yes yeah, so she has to investigate very peculiar goings-on at the, at the haunted house um, but it proves a very difficult case, even with my help. <laughs> <laughs> and we, and in it, we have a reenactment with the sealed knot uh, troop against uh, Cavaliers and Roundheads, which is terribly exciting. And I'm the wardrobe mistress, but I decide it would be very good if I were part of it. <laughs> so I said to the director, I wonder if I could put on a beard and be a man in it. I mean, as Mrs. Boggle so I did what I didn't know was they were going to give me an 11 foot pike and they're <laughs> really heavy they really are and a pike is fighting a musket and I i said to the field not people and what chance have a pike people got and they said you have to load a musket Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> but it, it's great fun, great
1: fun. And, and in your world of acting, you know, you must get these fantastic opportunities. I mean, it's been a, a career which has spanned what fifty years. I'm going uh, to guess. Uh about fifty
2: four now. Oh
1: dear. And 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 still, you're only halfway through. So <laughs> this <laughs> is you know. It's it, 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 <laughs> got it the gardening to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it must be great learning all these different things as you go along.
2: Oh, I I really wish I didn't have to learn so much all the time, (laughs) Uh, especially in radio, which is my passion. I Mm -hmm. adore radio. But God, you you, you learn something different every time on how to do it. You think that? You know, can't I do it yet?
0: No. <laughs> you
1: know, I, yeah, absolute star, come on. And, uh, you know, if, with the, the, the cast in there, do you think you were able to give any of them a, 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 a few tips? I mean, they, they don't need it because they're a great set of actors, but uh, oh, it, was, yeah. it must be great fun sort of bouncing off each other when you got the likes of Kathy Wicks, Matthew Horne, uh, you know, Jason Merrills. Uh, the, the list just goes on. You've already shouted out to uh, Ashley Jensen as well.
2: Yes, she is absolutely. App- Absolutely terrific. She has to do so many stunts and all in the most attractive high heels. That's the trouble. They're very big hats. (laughs) But um, she's an amazing girl. She really is. So we had the read-through for series four Mm -hmm. and and about three days later it was all cancelled. So everybody there who thought they had six months' work had just nothing.
1: But this will hopefully be back soon and we will see when things calm down the fourth season of this amazing show up until then we have got one through three as a box set priced at 39.99 or season three for 24.99 available to buy now Uh, you can also uh, get these things digitally too and you can enjoy the magical world of of agatha raisin these tales and of course the wonderful parts the the likes of of mrs boggle which i i'm sure you never Ever, ever imagined was going to be given to you but you must be absolutely loving playing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: True.
1: Well for now Marcia Warren, thank you so much for joining us and keep up the good work and fingers crossed the season four very soon.
2: Thank you very much indeed. Thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: Somebody who I know is an absolutely excellent storyteller is Xanthi Gresham Knight. Uh, Last time I saw her she was strutting around in some rather largely red PVC boots type things in the arena theatre. And she joins me now. I don't know whether she's wearing the boots or not, but uh, she's here for a chat. Hello!
4: Hello there. Always got the virtual boots on, yes, but not in real life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how is the world of storytelling at the moment? Because uh, obviously we've been limited by uh, the, the world uh, as we, yeah, we've kind of become used to it over the last three months. But stories are a, a human way of interacting and talking about the past, the future and the, uh, the fantastic
4: Yeah, they really are. And actually, I think storytelling in its own way is thriving online. There are so many online storytelling clubs. uh, And of course, they can attract international audiences. So people in our local storytelling club are as far away as Texas. And they're (laughs) just they've just found it online and, and coming in there. So. In that way, it's thriving, but storytelling is eye to eye, mind to mind, heart to heart. Mm -hmm. And you can do quite a lot of that on video, but it is nice to be in the flesh.
1: So how did you begin doing all of this in the first place?
4: Oh, thanks for asking, Jason. Um, Well, I was an actress and then a teacher and nobody listened to me. I was teaching five to seven year olds and I had no discipline and then a storyteller walked into the classroom, uh, Ben Haggerty, and he sat down and told a story and they were still very badly behaved. But I was enchanted and I knew that their badly behaved was actually really good. So then the next day I went into the classroom and told a story. And for the first time in, I think, two terms, they listened to me. So I've never looked back because I know it's not me that's. Uh, that could enchant children, it's it's the stories themselves. They're like they've got like nutrients, so but
1: as, as the conduit that makes those stories happen, though, it is you because storytelling is about the heart and soul of the person who is sharing that tale. And it maybe you tell the same story, but it's never the same twice, is it?
4: No, it's not, and stories are like firebrands. And if you hear a story that you like, it's almost impossible not to tell it to the next person because you know, it takes you to another place. So they just keep spreading. And I I really do believe it's nice of you to say nice things to me, but I really do believe if you get the right story, it doesn't matter how you tell it. If you get the beginning, the middle and the end, and your heart's in the right place, it's going to hit the spot to the Uh, listener.
1: And what do you enjoy talking about when you are telling stories? I mean, how how do you source them or how do you develop what is in your mind's eye as a tale?
4: Well, I'm a a complete goddess nerd. I'm fascinated (laughs) by the divine feminine. So uh, I don't know. I was crazy about Chagall for about seven years. And I went to every Chagall um, museum and used to sit in front of the paintings. And the colour was like a transmission. And I used to tell stories, crazy stories based on Chagall paintings. And then suddenly that switched. And now it's goddesses. Uh, I, I just love, I love, positive role models. I think they're witty, they're funny. So I tend to go for mythology, but it might change. It's just what's, you know, ringing my bells at the moment. It's
1: what works in in, in your mind and the way you want to tell it. And uh, are any of your stories based in, you know, around fact, historical fact, even if it's uh, sometimes fantastic historical fact?
4: You see, it's very interesting. I've just done a recording uh, for Radio 4 about Cassandra. It was a specially commissioned piece. And you know, there's a, it's really amazing. The book that I've just written, Goddesses and Heroines, doesn't come under fiction. It comes under fact. So I get terribly confused <laughs> because I think I'm I'm really rubbish at facts and dates. I have to memorize them and, you know, be like a comedian with something written on their hand. I just, <laughs> they won't stay in my mind. So I really, I would say I'm rubbish to be completely honest <laughs> with historical stories unless I can take them somewhere else. Of course, there are there are great historical figures and they a lot of these myths must have been based on historical figures. So you Mm -hmm. take someone like Gilgamesh, which is the first epic that was ever written down. He was an actual king 5000 years ago and he got mythologized and then he attracted, he magnetized all the good stuff and became like a god, really. But he is half God and half man, which is what makes his story interesting.
1: And with the the way in which I mean, you, you effectively live these tales when you're in front of an audience, I know that because again, as I say, I have seen you doing this, and mm-hmm. it, it is uh, a sort of a moment that that you are in there, and I can see why your initial uh, audience in that classroom were entranced, and it, because you say so you, you are a channel, a conduit for. Uh, the, the story, the human experience, and, uh, and, and that, as we say, that is what draws people in. And uh, yeah, it, it must be interesting having this magical power and, you know, using it for, for good.
4: Yes, it can be quite seductive, and it does come with an element of hubris, to be honest with you. I think uh, as you get older, you get much, much humbler, you know, when, when, especially when you're working with kids who are so generous, and if you get the right story for them and you tell it, they will go crazy. But really it's not you, you are standing on the shoulders of greats. And the reason that the stories, the traditional stories are so effective is that they've been crafted by generations. They've been polished like a diamond. And you, there are some stories you can just pick up and it's like something shining in the gravel, you pick it up, you tell it, and it's like a little heart machine. It's like a, it can resuscitate people. It can it can have a good side, a bad side. It can send you to war. It can cause peace. They are incredibly, incredibly powerful, and you can get seduced and think it's all about you, but it just isn't. You'll be gone soon, but that story will not. If it's good, it'll travel. It's like the old cathedrals. You know, really, storytellers should take their names right out of it. They're like the old cathedral builders, they, they made these fantastic, places for us to go Uh, and you know the the old cathedrals were built on sacred sites weren't they so there was probably a tree and a well before that uh and you know so generous of them to say okay we want to make something bigger so that people can come and when it's raining they can sit down and and connect their heart with something spiritual but they didn't put their names to it so no i i really can't claim. you can you can work up a story you know you can make it if you're working if you're telling a story on stage out of Respect for your audience, if there's a big audience, then you need to craft it, use performance skills. But you are only ever as good as your story.
1: And with uh, those skills, I mean, there is a level of audience interaction there as well, even if it's just them ooing and aahing and cooing in the right places, or sometimes a little bit more than that in a story.
4: The audience are everything. You know, the audience, going back to children again, and it happens with adults, but... I don't notice it so much. When I used to tell stories to children, I I had a a little bag of stories and I would go school after school or class after class. And the the children listen like this, you know, they're kind of on the (laughs) teeth and then they will spout something out. You might have missed something or they've seen a joke and you add that the next time. The same thing can happen if you've told a story, especially with kids, like a thousand times and then suddenly, you realize a line could be interpreted in another way usually something (laughs) rude and as your as the thought crosses your mind the children pick it up laugh start jump jumping around if it's scatological they'll start farting or whatever making arm they but they never picked it up until you did till it passed across your mind but the same thing happens on the other side I see a child and it and an adult, or they'll laugh, adults particularly will give, I'm not funny at all, but they give me all the jokes, so they will suddenly laugh, and you think, why was that? Oh, there's a double entendre, do you know what I mean? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and same, same, when they look bored, um, and when you've you've gone off on some descriptive thing, and you can see their eyes glazing over, or adults especially would just fall asleep, they are constantly directing you, and they're taking away the rubbish, you know, they're taking away whatever stops that diamond shining, so, you know, I, uh, I think, oh, I worked with a story, lovely Irish storyteller last month for, a, for our storytelling club, Lunacy, and she didn't want to do it. She's called Kate Corkery, and she's a giant in storytelling, but no ego whatsoever, speaks five languages, you, you name it, knows every story. Um, she's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. I, you know, I, I need the people there. And it took so long, you know, not so long, about five minutes, for her mm. to sort of see that there were people on the screen. But it was terrifying, the thought of, of not connecting because the audience give you everything.
1: Well, where can we go to find out about your current projects and enjoy those, and maybe even join a storytelling club that you're part of?
4: Right, well, there are lots of storytelling clubs. If you put storytelling online, you can find anything, but I run a storytelling club called Lunacy Storytelling Brighton, you get that on Facebook or it's on my website page. I've also done uh, with Fleur Shorthouse-Hemmings who runs the club with me, and it is great to have someone to run a, cl- a club with you. We've done three podcasts as well. You can get them on Zan Gresham Night SoundCloud. Not very good at putting them on Patreon or anything yet. Um, I've got a book out, Goddesses and Heroines with Thames and Hudson. And there's a listen again for the Cassandra, which is close to my heart, which we did during lockdown for Radio 4 and you can it's a a Radio 4 short work it's only 14 minutes and I do think good stories quite often are short so you can still get that again um on the radio but there's I noticed even this afternoon at the World Storytelling Cafe which is a phenomenal thing I think I can't be sure who set it up so I won't say it's Liz Weir and 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 other people there's a marvelous storyteller talk about firebrand Seth Townsend who's traveled internationally can communicate with audiences in every language. And he's telling at two o'clock this afternoon. There's so much storytelling happening out there. And one favourite thing, if you, I think it was last week or the week before, they had the Beyond the Story, uh, Beyond the Border storytelling festival Mm -hmm. online. Mm -hmm. And there's a young girl there called Tamar Williams, and she introduces the storytelling festival. If you can get that link she talks for about three minutes saying how you know come to our storytelling festival and then she tells a story about the heart about an old woman's heart and a young woman's heart and it's one of those firebrand stories i'm not going to take it out of her mouth but you know google that beyond the border international storytelling festival online tamar williams three minutes in wow i do know you go
1: Well, it's Anthony Gresham Knight. Great to speak to you. Lovely to catch up. I'm hoping to see you at a live event sometime in the not-too-distant future, somewhere near us. Uh, But for now, thank you for joining us.
4: Jason, thank you so, so much for having me. And lots of love and all the best. Hope to see you again soon. Adam Sweet of
1: the band Passion Star. Uh, He was one of my heroes in the 90s. He's an all-round nice fella, and he joins me now for a chat. Hello. Hiya, hiya. Now, it's been a few years since we last had a catch-up. Obviously, uh, enjoyed the music back in the day. And I think it'd be good to have a little reminisce, wouldn't it? So, uh, what's going on in your world at the moment?
5: So, uh, it's all a bit weird at the moment, isn't it? Um, I think... uh, I, I... Run my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been doing a lot of reading, obviously. The last couple of months have been fairly quiet for most people. Uh, a lot of exercising, not willingly, I admit. Uh, the wife has been quite insistent that I join in her <laughs> exercise regime. It's uh, <laughs> never been for her because I have to do everything that she wants. Um, uh, I, I've gotten quite boring. I've started growing vegetables. I've been growing chilies for a couple of years. This isn't uh, very rock and roll, is it, to be fair? Maybe the is. chilies, oh, but. Uh, I, I realised that I've turned into Alex James from Blur. The next thing you know, I'll start my own farm and start making my own cheese.
1: <laughs> but I mean musically, has there anything been going on there? Because Passion Style was a big thing in your life for a few years, wasn't it?
5: It was. It was my entire life for about three years. Uh, there were distant rumblings of a reunion a couple of years ago, but nothing recently. Uh, quite honestly, I'm happy and content in life. I've reached a, a place where... Uh, you know, uh, you, you spend your whole life kind of putting building blocks in place to give yourself a platform to do you want and do what you want and be happy. And I've kind of reached that point. Um, and it's uh, that at this point, uh, uh, reunion is very unlikely mm-hmm. because I just don't have time for it. And really, I don't need it anymore.
1: But are you still doing music for pleasure for yourself or
5: uh, how does that work at you? Entertaining the family? I- I do, yeah, I've got a guitar just over my shoulder there, Uh, and probably another six or seven upstairs, I admit, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I kind of play, wife isn't particularly impressed, she thinks it's a nice skill to have, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, she's not interested, really, Uh, unless I play something from, um, what's the film, Bradley Cooper and um, Lady Gaga film. If I play that, then she's interested. OK,
1: that, that, then suddenly the, the, the lights spark up. But, I mean, as it is, have you have you not shown your appearance on the National Lottery to uh, to try and get her interest?
5: I'm not sure if she's seen it, actually. This uh, is a
1: thing you need to sort that one out.
5: Yeah, so I think over the last kind of, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, kind of maturity came quite late to me, so I've grown up quite a lot <laughs> in the last 15 years. And she will always joke that she's not sure she would have liked me in those days because... Oh, I was a bit of a rock star, wasn't I? A bit of a diva. <laughs> so well, let's, let's
1: let's go back to the rock star days because as uh, we we've talked about in the past, Passion Star, uh, Wolverhampton based band um, yeah. it did really well. yeah, uh, in, in the film Shooting Fish, one of your songs was featured. This got you on national telly uh, and uh, yeah, a, a release of a song, which I bought a copy of, not realizing you guys were local. And uh, we, we got to chatting probably the best part of a decade or so ago, uh, yeah. just all surrounding the fact that you had this magical musical career back in the day.
5: Uh, yeah, honestly, it was a wonderful time. You know, I, I, I always realized that people always, they, they have their era in time and they kind of Musically, they never, quite often people don't move on from that, but I really do think the 90s was a kind of great era. The mid-90s for music was a wonderful time, and it was great to be a part of it and have all that kind of kicking off for myself. Um, It was uh, a brilliant kind of three, four, or five years, depending on where you place the pins. (laughs) Um, And I just did some amazing things that I, you know, I, I, I forget that it's something I did sometimes and, you know, you kind of 20 years later or whatever and someone says something and you go, oh, yeah, actually, I, I actually met somebody yesterday uh, who said they, they'd gone to some girls, school? I went, oh, actually, we did uh, a gig at your school like 20 years ago, and she was kind of taken aback. <laughs> and I admit, school tours were normal in those days. It sounds a bit weird when you say these days, but... Um, Yeah, uh, we did so many things. We did like Radio One road shows. We uh, did—I remember playing the NEC, uh, the clothes show live. Um, Yeah, it was a great time. We met a lot of famous people. Uh, I haven't got so many stories to tell that they wouldn't want other people to hear. (laughs) But you know, it it was weird. We were great friends with All Saints for for like the summer of '96. We were everywhere. We did the Radio One road shows together, uh, and they were unheard of at that time. and then, you know, every subsequent show that we did, you know, you know, a big kind of event run by something like the BBC or some other radio station or something, and they would be there and say, like, oh, hi, how you doing?
1: <laughs> so you, you made mates and was, some of that, I mean, just sort of dwindles and disappears. Uh, you mentioned about the, you know, the, the the near reunions you've seen. And yep. are, are you basically still mates with the rest of the lads? Give us, give us a shout out for the rest of the gang.
5: Yeah, uh, as it happens, uh, I spoke to Rich the other day. Actually, he lives up north somewhere these days, in, in Cumbria, I think. Uh, uh, we don't speak that often. Rich was our lead singer. Uh, we don't speak that often, actually, but we tend to catch up every couple of years. Uh, the other two, Gaz and Steve, I haven't probably spoken to Gaz in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, you know, I was saying it about myself earlier, like kind of you reach this kind of point of contentment where you've kind of put the building blocks of your life in place, and... You've kind of made a a platform where you're kind of happy and content and comfortable. And I think he reached that stage, I don't know, I guess 10, 15 years ago or so. Steve, uh, I haven't spoken to, I don't think, directly. Actually, we are friends on Facebook thinking about it. Uh, So, you know, we've exchanged the odd comment and Mm -hmm. said hello. but I haven't spoken to him directly or in person uh, for 15 minutes.
1: But, say, there's a lot of going on. You were probably living in each other's pockets when you were doing crazy tours, staying in cheap hotels and uh, enjoying life on the road. And, and, and the music industry was very different. I mean, you did go uh, on, a, on a record company-funded schools tour or a you know, mini gig tour, and that was somewhat different now. because these days, uh, most musicians are working heavily independently unless you're one of the absolute top echelon of the acts that are out there. And uh, yeah, people are recording in their own home studios, which is normally just a laptop and a, and a sound card these days.
5: Yeah, I think I was watching the uh, Oasis documentary um, the other day, and... I think Mel Gallagher talks about how the, the kind of change. They played Nedworth, and he said the one thing that's striking when you see that back these days is that there's like nobody's got a mobile phone in the crowd pointed mm-hmm. at the stage. And um, I think, yeah, kind of the music industry has changed. I mean, admittedly, we were probably quite naive. We were like 19, 20, 21 uh, in our heyday. Uh, and you kind of you don't realize that there's a lot of kind of business behind the background and a lot of ulterior motives that maybe you would never hear of. But uh, I think these days um, it's probably a lot harder to get noticed. I mean, it was hard in those days, but we we got picked up quite early by a record company, and they developed us for a couple of years. But these days, I think there's, you know, as you say, uh, unless you're a an established act, then it's probably quite hard to get noticed. Uh, there's a lot of people working away in home studios and. Mm-hmm making a lot of music, but how do you get that to people? I mean, the delivery mechanism there, it's, its you know, the internet makes everything possible, but how do you get noticed? It's, unless you kind of, you know, in the old days, you lent people tapes, yeah. uh, sold tapes, at the, uh, the demo tapes at gigs and so on, and they, you don't know where they would end up, but I suppose, again, the transmission medium is there these days to make it a lot easier, but, there's so much, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, there, there's so much content these days that it's difficult to get your content under some people's nose and actually have their attention on it.
1: Yeah. And you know, to, to get yourself in a, in a film, uh, obviously with the record company working alongside you, I mean, that must have been good fun. I know you did premieres and the, and the like. And that is something which it, it seems, unless you're an Adele uh, or uh, Louis Capaldi, you're not probably going to get invited into that sort of stuff in, in, in the same way.
5: Yeah, I, I have to admit that the invitations did dry up after a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, as you say, I think it, it is very difficult to kind of get through the doors these days, uh, unless you are an established actor. I think, uh, again, I was thinking about the train spotting soundtrack, and a lot of those bands are all quite small in those days mm-hmm. uh, to some degree uh, like there like those people like uh, uh, sleeper and uh, the supernaturals probably, uh, and a whole bunch of other bands that people probably don't remember these days and it was a great soundtrack obviously everyone remembers lust for life by Iggy pop but you know that was probably 20 years old by the time the out the mm-hmm. film came along um, but these days uh, the, the shooting fish soundtrack was not entirely dissimilar it was a really good film psych, actually, film track actually. Not least because we were on it, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of films on there you just you know nobody's heard of in 20 years, and it just doesn't really happen anymore because the film is like you got to have Will Smith, <laughs> you know, you need Will Smith to act in the film and then do the soundtrack, or yeah. uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper.
1: Yeah, these things happen. Well, obviously, uh, they, they were great times. The music still stands that test of time. Uh, to be the one is the the one that I know. There's some great other tracks, and I think you've still got a website with all this stuff available, haven't you?
5: Yeah, I, I, again, uh, an admission that I cobbled it together. I, I, I when I first got a computer about twenty years ago, I started. Twenty years ago, um, <laughs> I started trying to scribble together some HTML and understand how it all worked and so on, and so this is, is a website I put together with the HTML skills I learned about 20 years ago. And I wrote it by hand. I didn't use a code editor or anything. <laughs> uh, I didn't use like a little graphical tool that did it all for me. So it was really just uh, a dumping ground for somewhere to put the songs. It's a file uh, store. Yeah. And, and, you know, some links. So people, it was readable and you knew what you were getting when you clicked something. Uh, but yeah, uh, uk, I think.
1: It still exists and you can get the music that way. Uh, we, we, look, we are looking for that revival. Fingers crossed somebody will pick it up and before you know it, we'll have uh, the full back catalogue. Some amazing footage of you performing with All Saints on a Radio One stage somewhere. And all this will suddenly uh, appear. The only thing that we don't wanna see is you in gold spandex pants. We're not gonna go anywhere on that one, but uh, that, that is also available online, I believe. Adam, always good to catch up with you. Um, Keep smiling and um, educate the wife and get her to see you on the National Lottery. I think that's the moral of the story.
5: Thank you, mate. It's great to speak to you.
1: days before lockdown, the final preparations were being made by Cods Dramatic Society for their latest production. However, that was put on hold. But this hasn't stopped them getting together, meeting up and seeing what's happening. To tell us more about what's going on, I'm joined now by Wendy and Colin Peterson. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello there. (laughs) So uh, what's going on then? Because this is going to be an interesting project you must have had great fun working on.
6: absolutely we've been meeting for the last few weeks uh, since lockdown as uh, for the members of the uh, Cultural Dramatic Society on Zoom as have so many organisations we've been reading plays and discussing how we can uh, get together remotely to put some entertainment on Uh, we were sent a pantomime uh, which isn't our normal genre I have to say (laughs) we normally do our children's play Um, by NODA, which is the National Operatic and Dramatic Association, with a short lockdown panto suitable for this type of situation. Uh, Then we decided that we'd got to give it a go.
1: So this is where the creativity kicks in and you guys all get together and, and do something. And it's something that's virtual and this is about to be released online.
6: It is. It's due to be released on YouTube. We've set up a YouTube channel. Uh, it's already active. Uh, you can go on our Facebook page to uh, to access it. And sometime later this week, we will be releasing the final um, version of our Pantodemic by okay. Tom
1: Warren. <laughs> so this is going to be jolly good fun. So uh, who's involved? What's the cast like? Well, the cast have, have, is uh, three members of cast. Uh,
7: there's Dame Fanny Face Mask. <laughs> uh, there's her... Uh,
1: Charming son, PP, or PPE, as some might might term it, and there's Captain Covid, the baddie. <laughs> so, uh, an, an interesting take on the world around us, and, and this is all about having a bit of fun and uh, just sort of trying to put a smile back on people's faces, even if you can't see it behind the face mask. And uh, uh, I know that uh, you guys at codsol will be, uh, yeah, once, once you're able to work towards doing uh, another production. You've got one which is all ready to go, pretty much, haven't you?
6: Yes, we were all ready to go with uh, Joking Apart. We'd actually done the dress rehearsals. We were ready to do the final rehearsal, and then uh, lockdown was announced. So we've had to put that on the back burner. But the actors are all still raring to go. Uh, everything's ready. So as soon as we can, uh, we'll get back together and uh, perform that, whenever that might be.
1: OK, so we'll wait and see what happens there. I'm hoping that you guys are going to tell me so I can tell everybody watching and listening that uh, uh, you know, what's actually happening, and we'll keep everyone posted on that. We've even got an interview we can rerun on that one. you just need to change the dates in it. So, you know, it was great to meet up with the cast uh, ahead of all that happening. Uh, so, I mean, w- what happens now then? It's a case of getting along to the uh, the Consul Dramatic Society Facebook page and uh, liking that for starters to make sure you get all the updates, but also then looking out for that link to the YouTube channel.
6: That's yes. correct,
7: yes. And the YouTube channel, if you, if you go onto YouTube and search for Consul Dramatic Society, you'll find the,
6: the, the channel there. There's a little teaser up at the moment and we'll be releasing the, the full epic <laughs> film. <laughs> Next week, it's all of about 10 minutes, so uh, you know, you don't have to concentrate for too long. Well, you don't really have to concentrate, but your... it
7: was new ground for cultural dramatic society. We've we've not done this sort of thing before, and
5: uh, it just shows what a versatile mob we are when we put our minds to it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you've, you're hugely talented, very entertaining. I'm looking forward to seeing the, I know it'll be jolly good fun and uh, of course keep up the good work and we look forward to having you back in the real world in some form as soon as it's possible
5: that's great thank you so, thank much, you jason. so
6: much jason thank you bye bye Well, that's a
1: part of the 1990s. Daytona are having great fun, not only with the release of their single, American Disco Dancer," but also the album, My Obsession with Elizabeth Montgomery. To tell us more, I'm joined now by one quarter of the band, Martin Wallow. Hello, sir. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I trust everything is going well in your world. Yeah,
7: it's going OK, really. Everything considered. you
1: know. <laughs> So, I mean, let's start with a bit of reminiscing. Back in okay. 1997, uh, things were looking absolutely fantastic for the band Daytona. Um, yeah. We had a great time when uh, we had a chat in the Radio Wall Studios back in the day at Molyneux. And, um, oh, yeah. he came down for a natter, And this was all around the release, was it Blue Dog, the record label, on V2? Yeah,
7: that's right. Yeah, they're a subsidiary of V2. Yeah.
1: And that must have been great. I mean, you were all, what, in your early 20s?
7: Yeah, I was—I uh, think I was 21 when we got signed. The rest of the band, yeah, they were like 22, 23. So yeah, we were just kids, really.
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, that must have been quite an exciting time—the the, the record deal, uh, actually seeing your uh, you know uh, album out there, and uh, everything that sort of followed on from that with the single release.
7: Yeah, it did really. I mean, it was um, uh, yeah, it was a, you know getting getting a record deal you know at that age as well it was a childhood dream really
0: mm-hmm.
7: um and it was uh yeah it was a uh, you know, I've, I've been in a few bands before that and uh, so but then uh fr- they were, the band were actually called frisbee originally mm-hmm. and I uh, they were uh, they were already going as a three-piece I joined them and um uh, we got a, a polite letter from the frisbee corporation saying we couldn't <laughs> Couldn't be called that anymore, so we changed it to Daytona, and um, uh, yeah, and eventually, the uh, yeah we found a label that wanted to to put some records out for us,
1: and, uh, and
7: we went from there.
1: No, the Daytona name itself, that, that came about very last minute, as you say, it was something it was a push. But mm. I seem to recall when we spoke back in the day, uh, you, you basically said, yeah, we were looking for something in a hurry.
7: Yes, it was very much last minute. Um, we basically had, yeah, we, we got this letter from uh, from Frisbee so yeah uh, uh, a cease and desist basically and uh <laughs> and uh but we were off, yeah i think it was it was before we got signed but we i think we were printing some t-shirts or <laughs> or doing doing something that was going to be permanent you know so yeah so, it had to so be we good. had we uh, had to be quick and then uh, yeah so so we ended up looking through the racing pages of the Express and Star and uh, um, just to see what jumped out of us when we we're yes over a couple of pints in the varsity pub <laughs> uh, happy
1: days yeah yeah so Thanks. give us a shout out to the rest of the band then who who uh, yep. asked us there was Ian he was uh, vocals Yep,
7: Ian Beasley he was on vocals and guitar mm-hmm. there was Stephen Carter Steve he drummer. Was the drummer Yep, yeah and Darren Dickens, who was bass and vocals.
1: And uh, yeah, Um, a a good team. Um, The the Sound Yourself, I mean, the the album, my obsession with Elizabeth Montgomery, who was in Bewitched, I think, wasn't she?
7: That's right, yeah, yeah. Well, it was around the time that we were writing songs from the album, um, and that, yeah, my obsession with Elizabeth Montgomery ended up being a lyric in the song Caroline, Mm -hmm. um, which is on the album um and yeah it, it's it's one of those lyrics that stuck out and uh, and it was you know it was it was the thing that we all kind of shared you know like because we we gave up our jobs for that band so you know but we but we you know we rehearsed every single day but you you know not not until after we'd all probably you know you, usually all of us had watched bewitched at about half nine i think it was on channel 4 <laughs>
1: repeats on channel 4 were fantastic weren't yeah they? yeah um, <laughs> And we all we all had you know we we all liked Elizabeth well, Malcolm. Understandably, was. so.
7: she was a very attractive lady. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> I mean,
1: but I mean the album itself though, I, it was it was really cool for the fact that you did an, an intro and an outro, and it it, it yeah. sort of harked back to uh, a different age and it, it, mm. with the the you know the, the the marketing as it were I suppose, but yeah. the uh, the the sound itself was very fresh and still stands up today.
7: Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, well, because um, even though we, we had indie sensibilities, uh, you know, in the songwriting and the sounds, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but, you know, when, when they recruited me, I added a bit more rock to the sound, mm-hmm. and we ended up being a bit heavier than, than you know, than how they set out. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think that 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 was my input. <laughs> yeah,
1: because did Kerrang! take some stuff on one of the magazines as well?
7: Yeah, they did. Kerrang! seemed to really like us. It was nice, actually, because we were getting in the NME and Kerrang! as well. So we were sort of, you know, crossing that, that boundary mm-hmm. you know, between indie and rock, metal. Well, we weren't metal at all, but there, were, there was a rock element to what we were doing,
0: uh-huh. you
1: know? But, I mean, this was all around the time. It was the late 90s. And mm. this was when, suddenly, the music industry started to stop spending cash. And yes. there'd been a massive boost for Britpop and all mm. the indie scene that went with it. Uh, that yeah. had been a, a big spend. But suddenly, the latter part of the 90s, unless you were already an absolutely massive name, the label seemed to take a step back, didn't they? And uh, they they, did. I think Blue Dog and V2, they they pretty much, they got rid of about 50% plus of their, their roster.
7: Mm, yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, it was kind of good and bad timing at the same time, really. Yeah, like like you say, it was it was the fallout from the Britpop era. So I think the like scene-wise, there wasn't an awful lot going on really. There were just uh, you know a lot of most of the bands that were that were known at the time were were, were survivors from from Britpop mm-hmm. really. So you know, but we we tried to bring something fresh. And um, and yeah, and luckily, yeah, Richard Branson started the V2 label. He signed the Stereophonics, uh, among other other bands. And um, and yeah, and one of the satellite labels took an interest in us.
1: Well, that was obviously some time ago. It, uh, the things started to ease off with the band. You'd given up your day jobs to uh, yeah. uh, to, to take a, that step back. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you ended up working in MV, uh, MVC Music yeah. Value Choice, didn't you, for a little while? Uh, yeah, I did but, on and off. Yeah, but you're still part of the music industry now, which is the which is the good bit.
7: Yeah, it is. I'm I'm still still very active in the industry. It's um you know I mean but. My main aim isn't to make a living from it, because I, I think I think if you if you're if you're a creative type in the industry, then uh, you know uh, making money should be, in my opinion, should be the last thing on the list. You know, because I think if you're an artist, what what you're doing should be something that you want to do for yeah. a start. Um, uh, and you know, and and if other people like it and they and they they want to part with some of the hard-earned cash, then then that's even better, you know, but uh, but uh, but I think that's that's secondary to the to, to the whole process, you know. I think uh, you know, if if you're a musician or an artist, just just making great material is is the you know the the, the most important thing, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Well, I mean, Daytona had their time. Obviously, you're still doing some some great work now. Um, mm. And uh, can, can we hear any of your more recent stuff? Is that is out there? Yeah. On, yeah? What, what do we do yeah. for them? Yeah. Well,
7: there's there's a band. I mean, now called the Double Happy. Mm-hmm. We're a three piece. It's probably well. I would definitely a lot. Less easy on the ear than Daytona. <laughs> this is quite. Um, there's a bit more shouting and screaming, but you know. But it is. Me, it's it's melodic as well. Yeah. And I've I've taken the role of uh, of lead vocalist, head screamer. Um. Uh, yeah, lead screamer. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, as I said, vocalist rather than singer. <laughs> you know. And that's that's been going well. We released a, a cassette single a few years ago, <laughs> just uh, just a bit of fun. The yeah. The song was called Taxidermy. We handmade the the sleeves for the cassettes Mm -hmm. out of um, dismembered uh, body parts of teddy bears. Um, (laughs) You've got to have a sense of humour. It has to
1: to be done. But, I mean, that comes across in in, in all that we've seen you do. I mean, the the, the fun that you had with Daytona, obviously, the the current Mm. projects now. So where do we go to find out about the current work? What's we got online? Have you got a Facebook page? Um,
7: Well, there's a few bits and pieces on YouTube, um, but we have a mini album, uh, which is on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can download that for free. If you just put The Double Happy The Double Happy, that, Bandcamp, that, that'll get
1: it, yeah. Then it
7: should come up. The, al- the mini album is called A
1: Prince to Fall Go with the Red Dust.
7: Don't ask me what it means.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have this habit of doing that, so okay, I'll steer yeah. clear of we'll that one. Um, and uh, yeah, are there still videos of Daytona floating about as well? Did you ever make anything uh, that, was, that turned uh, into a proper pop video, as it were?
7: It's funny, it's because actually just, I think it was a couple of months ago, um, I was with my son surfing on YouTube and, and I stumbled across uh, a very amateur video shot on Super 8 of um, bubblegum pop song, which is a pre Owner song. It was, uh, that was when we were still frisbee. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, a very, very young, uh, more pretty version of me on that um so yeah i don't know who uploaded that but it's, it's on there but that, yeah there's not much video of us i mean it was the late 90s it was obviously before the time of uh, smartphones and all that mm-hmm. so you know um there but yeah i'm sure if i did some digging i'd find something um yeah because we, we were on uh we've got on mtv a few times as well -hmm in '98, I think it was, um, so we did a we did a Karang tour, mm-hmm. and um, uh, as well. So there, so there were bits bits of publicity here and there, but I don't know how much of it has, has stayed in cyberspace.
1: Well, that's it's nice to look back on. You probably had uh, a, a MySpace page at some point as well, I'm sure. For them.
7: Uh, yeah. I oh, know that, that was that was before MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. Before all that, yeah. I suppose.
1: Yeah. Martin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for reminiscing a bit. And, uh, you know, for the, the, Mo, there might be a, a sudden uh, resurgence for uh, uh, the wonderful music of Daytona at some point in the not too distant future, I hope. You
7: never know, do you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us.
7: All right. Thanks, Jason. Cheers.
1: Sister Samantha, took
3: a with an All American disco dance round.
1: Is a child and adult therapist and joins us now for a bit of a chat uh, about the way we've been dealing with the world at the moment. Hi, Mel. How are you doing?
8: Hello, I'm fine, thank you, Jason, and thank you for having me on. Well, good today. to talk
1: to you. And I mean, it's 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 a difficult world just at the moment, and not one that really, I suppose, any of us are expected to find ourselves in in 2020.
8: No, it's. Um, I think unprecedented. I think people are a bit bored of hearing it's unprecedented times, <laughs> but it really is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, nothing. Nothing like this has ever happened. We'd never anticipated it in our lifetimes. Uh, no. But if we look back in history, I mean, we've, we've seen people going through, through similar and significantly worse. And, and, and even in you know, the last century, we know that things like uh, influenza pandemics have caused problems. But we're in a very different, highly connected world these days, whereas in the past, you know, in in 1920, we might have read about something horrendous with Spanish flu in the paper. Uh, The reality is now we can see and hear from around the world what people are going through. And even if it's not affecting us directly, then we we still can be severely affected by what's happening.
8: We are indeed. um, I think we're probably more connected and disconnected than ever before. And I say more connected because we have more ways to stay in touch, but actually our communities, I think over the years have got smaller. So that brings its own own difficulties. Mm-hmm. And the way in
1: which people communicate obviously makes a massive difference. The internet has both helped and probably hindered too.
8: Yeah, well, I think um, we, we can stay in touch with people anywhere in the world at any time of the day but I don't think it fills us up as much as those kind of in-person connections that we have. And so actually, um, us humans are wired for touch. Uh, We're wired to hear each other's voices. We're wired to be in the same space and share energy. So whilst we can have um, contacts through things like Zoom, um, we're often left um, tired after those rather than energized. Yeah,
1: screen time. I mean, there's a reason why most of our devices now tell us how long we've been on these things all the time. Because it it can have a negative impact. Not only the whole blue light scenario, where uh, you know, last thing at night, it can really mess with your head and disrupt your sleep patterns. And even that in itself, uh, it can can affect your day-to-day outlook on the world, can't it?
8: I think yeah. The more um, there's definitely merit in switching off these. um, I think we've got so much. We process so much information. So switching off from the gadgets. Um, allowing our brains and our bodies to come down a little bit from all that kind of um, white light and excitement um, can massively help our uh, sense of well-being. Yeah.
1: And have you seen obviously much more demand for your services, but also uh, in, the, in particular the early part of the lockdown and uh, not being able to you know, be in a physical room with someone to talk to them and help them?
8: I think, yeah, I think uh, personally, my, my, my clients had to come to terms with the fact that they couldn't have me. And so we had to move to online, which some embraced, some didn't like so much. Um, it went quiet, I think, as everybody went into shock as we went into lockdown. Then my practice got a lot busier as people became more anxious and found it difficult to cope with with, with the lockdown and, um, and the anxiety around the pandemic. Everybody's circumstances are so different. And so, one person can be kind of saying, Oh, I'm really enjoying the lockdown because I get more time at home because they might be on furlough. And so, they're embracing gardening and all kinds of lovely stuff. And somebody else is super busy with work. And so, um, the pain points are slightly different, which can cause anxiety and can cause a lot of kind of arguments. And, and, and people struggle to have empathy when they're also in a, in a struggle themselves. So, we can get a lot of competit- competitiveness and a lot of kind of uh, lack of empathy and a lot of anger. And I've seen all of that kind of playing out there in the world and through the homes of the people I'm supporting anxieties about um, either getting the virus or how do I um, protect myself? And actually now as we're coming out of the lockdown, I see a lot of anxieties. Some people are really excited about um, shops and restaurants opening and other people are still not ready yet to embrace being out there in, in the world and so, all the point, pain points are slightly different, and our yeah. thresholds for risk and safety are also different.
1: Yeah, and there is no right or wrong answer to any of this. I think that one of the most important things is you are you and how you're reacting to this is entirely right for you. And if you need help to to get through to uh, a more positive outlook sometimes, talking to somebody who understands the situation and understands how to deal with people like yourself, qualified in you know, basically understanding of human nature and being able to talk back to you about how you, you know, are, are reacting and, and making them feel that you know the way they feel isn't wrong, is it?
8: No, um, I think a lot of our job as, as psychotherapists is to normalise and allow people to accept the emotions that they're having and to tolerate sitting with our own selves and our own staff. And I think you're absolutely right. There is no right or wrong. It's absolutely about what fits for you. Um, what we'll all have different safety thresholds. Some people will be embracing going out again. Others won't be ready. Um, I think the difficulty comes is when you're maybe asked to go out, maybe back to work, and you're not ready. And so we may have to have um, some kind of awkward conversations with bosses around what we're what we're willing to do, what we're not willing to do, and trying to come to some arrangements. So. If you're an employer, then it's maybe worth talking about your staff, about their mental health and wellbeing and and how they're doing. Um, There's lots of assumptions at the moment that maybe people are okay. Um, So yeah, definitely talking about it and normalising what we're feeling and finding a a path through these times that feels right for us. There is no right or wrong way, just what fits for each individual.
1: And uh, with your practice, are you now able to see people face to face?
8: I've chosen not to go back to face-to-face yet. I'm still online for now um, because I, I, I'm not yet comfortable in having clients back into my home. I have a, a, a partner who is um, in the risk uh, mm-hmm. category. So, and, and that's something we, we don't um, sometimes think about is we may be well or healthy, but actually it's not just about us. It's about what risk do we then pass on to others who, who, who we live with? And somebody said to me, oh, but you're fit and he- well and healthy. So, you know, what what's your problem? I'm like, well, actually, you don't, we don't know the circumstances and who else we may be in contact with that, 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 that is a higher risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I also don't want to treat my clients as, as infected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of world that we're in at the moment. So, for me, until I can be empathic enough um, and, um, and and feel that I can offer my clients. Um, a good service, my place is too small um, to have a comfortable distance. I don't work in a huge um, kind of space. Mm -hmm. So for now, um, I'm I'm going for the the threshold that is still online and still safe.
1: Yeah. Uh, But but equally, I mean, having an online meeting with someone like yourself does help to normalize these online meetings and, and general conversations. So it actually will help somebody to be able to have conversations with our friends and family in a, in a less stressed way because of the sort of help and assistance you're able to give over the same medium.
8: We, um, we really did drill down when we're working with clients to look at how we're wired up and how we operate and how our behaviour patterns impact us or keep us stuck. And so actually um, we offer a different level of listening perhaps than, than family and friends. Mm-hmm. They often have an agenda for us yeah. and so uh, sometimes the listening um, may not be quite um adequate enough in terms of it's like you can be too close and so actually when you're when you when you're with somebody all the time what you tend to try and do is move them out of that place quite quickly because it's quite distressing to see somebody upset upset so we tend to try and cheer people up chivy them chibi them along we don't do that as therapists we tend to really stay with their um people's emotional uh, difficulties and help them really to tolerate and to feel that so that they can move when they're ready to move mm-hmm. so we have to be really careful when we're listening to people that we don't invalidate their experiences but with things like oh stay strong um, oh don't be silly mm-hmm. there's there's a hundred ways to invalidate somebody's kind of uh, emotional experience uh, and that comes through because we're we're, we're more used to dealing with behaviours than we are with emotions.
1: Well, obviously, there's a, a lot of assistance that you've been able to give so far through that like lockdown. Uh, you are available to do so. I mean, where, where are you based, just so people get an idea that you know that, that you are local? I,
8: uh, yeah, I have clients all over the world, but actually, I'm actually based in a little discreetly located in a little cul de sac uh, in Wolverhampton, just by East Park.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, it's it's nice to know. I think and sometimes. You're talking to somebody local who understands your area, who can, who can talk things through with you. So if people do need to use your services, how do they get in touch?
8: They can get in touch with me um, through my website, maljriley.co.uk. Um, I'm also on Twitter as M-M Counselling and I'm also on LinkedIn as well.
1: But knowing you're a professional and you're a paid counsellor can make a, a massive difference to help somebody take that first step as well, can't it?
8: Yeah, um, I don't think there's a price you can put on on your health. I offer um, one-to-one sessions and we're also just starting, um, I'm also starting some group sessions for um, to meet the middle market for those um, families that are perhaps can't get into CAMS and want some support. Then um, often some of the themes and, and issues that we're dealing with are common to more than one person. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of actually support people either one-to-one or through maybe small kind of groups.
1: So uh, give us that website again and spell Riley for me as well. It's
8: maljriley.co.uk. R-I-L-E-Y, Mal J Riley.
1: Brilliant. Mel. great to speak to you. Thank you for joining us and uh, keep up the good work and and helping people through uh, these difficult times and whatever else life may throw at them.
8: Thank you, Jason.
1: LGBT plus Sparkle have been continuing their online meetings throughout the lockdown period. Also, they've got a lot more going on, both online and potentially in the real world. Uh, To tell us more, I'm joined now by Paul Ryder. Hello, sir. Hello. You are
9: right, Jason? I'm
1: good. I trust we find you well?
9: I'm not too bad, thank
1: you. So what has been going on? Because uh, I know that the online weekly meetings have been going particularly well.
9: Yeah, definitely. They've been going really well. So what else has been happening? We've had different we've had them um, connected with the lady so i just made some notes um we've connected with the lady from katie needs she's got a track she's a trans awareness trainer trans ambassador providing trans awareness training public speaking media appearance and support we've connected with the lady from there and coventry mm-hmm. Um, a lady called jenny and for rve from manchester there's a group called unique transgender network
1: So lots of different people you've been talking to, uh, expanding that throughout the whole of the LGBT Plus community. And uh, I know that you've got the website online now and you're particularly pleased with that, including the logo. Yeah,
9: what did you think of
1: it? Uh, Well, I've seen various versions of it, I had a quick look on the links you sent through to me, and there's there's definitely a unicorn involved. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, you're pleased with that and uh, you've got uh, lots more going on with the links that you're making. So what else is happening at the moment?
9: Well, we formed a very recently we've connected with Caldwell Children and um, based in Staffordshire across the West Midlands and they've actually connected with us and they said um, we're going to actually put them onto our website because they said we'd, we'd like to work in partnership and they're going to find out because obviously there's LGBT parents with kids with autism and complex needs who's so going to find out the stats for us.
1: Okay, so that'll be interesting to, uh, to to look at the numbers. And again, it's, it's about the inclusivity of the group, getting more people involved, and really just having a place where people can come together.
9: Yeah, definitely. That's, that's why we brought it. Sorry, can't get the word yet. That was the whole purpose why we put it together, to reach out. Okay, so um,
1: with the, the work that you're doing at the moment, what have you got coming up in the next week or so that people will be able to join in with online?
9: We've got speak. We've got to speak. Uh, um... You know, I said Jenny and from Manchester. Mm-hmm. There's two transgender people there. They're gonna tell them their story, what it was like to come out as trans. I think we've got a lady, Pinky, I think her name was, um, from Pakistan, and you know, she couldn't come out as trans because they kill you over there and stuff like that. So she's gonna mention her story. Then we've got <coughs> sorry, excuse me. And then a lady, um, called Zen, and she's going to tell us her story. That's the next upcoming weeks, two weeks, the next speakers.
1: And you say so meet online, and that's each Thursday, isn't it?
9: Yeah, every Thursday. 2pm um, till 3pm. Um, it does go until about half three right, because because um, we're, we're speaking with Caldwell children, and there's a man called Paul Deakin, and we're trying to put a quiz together for the LGBT community but that'll be like separate maybe mm-hmm. on a Friday but we still haven't confirmed out yet.
1: But keep checking back with the group and uh, that'll be coming along fairly soon by the sounds of it. Yeah. Okay and uh, I mean any other projects you've got going on at the moment that are maybe outside the usual Thursday meetings?
9: Um, we um I haven't put anything together yet but I've been on, in talks with the lady from Coventry, Katie um, and she's obviously give me a few ideas because I've never done anything like this and give me some like useful information and thinking about doing an unofficial pro for Wolverhampton so nothing's like set up yet but I'm in the process of looking into that.
1: Okay so it would be interesting to see what comes out of that one. If people do wish to come along and join your group how do they find you?
9: Um, we are on Facebook if you type in LGBT plus Sparkle Social group, Wolverhampton, you'll find us on Facebook.
1: Not only can people find out what's going on, on the Facebook page where you regularly update events, but also they can check out that brand new website as well. So what's the address there?
9: It is www.lgbtsparkle.com. So you look
1: at um, uh, what's going on there. And of course, you've got the uh, the logo on there as well, and people can see that in all its glory. Yep. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work. Uh, keep having uh, uh, your group meetings and uh, keep us posted on what's going on. Thanks for joining us, Paul. All
9: right, cheers, Jace
1: Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Back with episode five hundred and seventy-eight next week. I'll see you then. To half an hour.
0: Goodbye from the mill bar. Goodbye from the mill bar. Goodbye from the milk bar, goodbye from the milk bar, yeah, goodbye from the milk bar, yeah.